One of the great blessings that we've experienced in our 16 years of youth ministry uh, has been the, 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 the time off we get in the summer, right? <laughs> well, not really time off, but the time away. Uh, the, the nature of youth ministry these days is that we get to, we go here and we go there and we go do this and we go do that. And the summertime is the time, right? Well, for 16 years, we've been blessed to be able to return with our ministry, regardless of where we were, to the same church camp. Uh, matter of fact, it's an even bigger blessing for me because it's the same church camp that I grew up going to. So for over 20 years now, once a week in the summer, I've retreated to the hills or to the mountains of New Mexico to a camp that I've grown to love because of what happens in that place. I also have grown to love it because it is so much better of a place to be in the dead of summer than Texas, where we have grown up, right? We're here, we're sweating it out, right? And we're sticky and, and, and hot, but there it's cool. So much so that in the evenings you need the jacket, right? And you get to sit around the campfires and tell stories of faith and of friendship and of love. It's a beautiful place. Great place to go hiking, great place to find waterfalls as they trickle down and the cold water that you can stand in and play in, the great big pine trees there. It's just a beautiful place. But you know, there's a, there's a, there's a downside, I suppose, to going to a place so often and so frequently. The more we visit a place and the more we become familiar with it, the more we tend to maybe take it for granted or, or tend to fail to see some of the good that we once saw when it was new. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where it's become so familiar to you that you begin to miss some of the joy of being there? This year was no different. We get to camp, uh, we begin with our regular routine, you know, and as the youth minister, it was my charge to get everyone there, get them registered, get them to their cabins, and we were traveling with a record number of 60 campers this year, which is a fourth of that camp's population, ranging in age from fourth, just completed fourth grade to graduates. So we pull in the bus, there were two other adults with me. It's a lot of children with two, with only three adults. So we pull in the bus and, and the day begins, right? The Sunday afternoon begins of the frantic, getting everybody distributed to the places that they need to go. That's a terrible word to use when you're talking about people, right? Distributed. <laughs> the business side of me coming out, I guess. So getting everybody situated where they needed to be, their, their luggage uh, moved to their cabin, their registration packets completed, their lunch in their stomachs, and transfer of responsibility from me to their counselors, right? And so the day is going and, and the busyness has set in and the routine has begun to take over and I'm in danger of missing the joy of being in this great place. I'm 
settling kids in, I'm moving a bus, I'm unloading a trailer, I'm removing the bus and parking it for the week and and setting the trailer aside so that it's out of the way and finding, okay, who left this pillow, right? Out of 60 campers, whose pillow is this on the trailer? You're going to be wanting it tomorrow. As my wife and I are getting the cabin that we're going to stay in for the week uh, situated, there's an unfamiliar noise that jolts me maybe back to reality. It's out of place. It doesn't belong. It's not the sounds of nature. It's not the sounds of people talking. It is not something that belongs in the mountains of New Mexico. But to be honest, I don't know what it is. It kind of sounds like a swarm of bees, but not exactly. There's a, there's a distinct electronic sound to it. Now you need to understand that at this particular camp, there is great pride taken in the fact that cell phone towers don't reach there. And so when you arrive at camp, you're, you're disconnected from the world. Internet service is not provided except only to the teachers and the counselors. And the teachers are really only allowed to use it if you need to connect back to work. Because a lot of the teachers that come are businessmen or businesswomen that need to conduct business excuse me, while volunteering their time to teach. And so there's this great effort put forth to... to completely separate and unplug, if you will, from the world around us, which is really a great deal. Because church, have you ever stopped and unplugged from the world for even five minutes? There's great blessing to be found when we'll disconnect from the world and connect with God instead. So here we are in the midst of this this great sanctuary, this sacred place where the influence of technology and the internet are not to be found, and I hear this this noise that doesn't belong and that does have a distinct technological sound. And so I open my door to see what's going on, and, and there sits a man who's there to teach with his drone. And I thought, really? Really? We had to bring a drone to church camp. I mean, what's the point, guy? I mean, we're we're disconnecting from all of those distractions. We're disconnecting from all of that junk. We're disconnecting from all of the influences of the world. And you're bringing a drone? Everybody's going to want to be a part of that, right? And I was really kind of appalled, which is... Maybe there was a little bit of jealousy too. Like, dude, you've got a drone! <laughs> right? Well, after, as the week progressed, as the next couple of days progressed, and maybe even just a day, I set myself aside for a minute and I began to recognize that what I thought he brought in the way of a toy actually became a tool. Not because he took it to Bible class, I don't know, maybe he did, and used it as illustrations there. But because it it became a tool for me, personally. I didn't touch it, I didn't fly it. I merely experienced a blessing that I never even expected to get from that. Because here I am in a place that I've been going for 20 years. The cabin I've been staying in for this... 
almost that entire time right in that same vicinity, the, the, the campus that I have not ventured far from at all. It has become so familiar that oftentimes there have been years that I've returned from camp and gone, where did it go? I just, I missed it all. Because I got so distracted and was so familiar with what was happening that I missed the blessing. The presence of his drone, at first it sort of offended. But then as he began to fly it over camp, and bring back the pictures that he brought of the camp from above, catching campers as they came down off the mountain in a hike, following them down the zip line, and all kinds of amazing things seen from a different vantage point. Completely turned my week around. Because it yanked me out of the familiar, out of the routine, and it gave me a clearer picture of something new. It's the same. I just got to view it from a different vantage point. Church, sometimes I fear that we have that experience when we read the Scriptures. Because we've been to countless VBSs and meetings and heard countless sermons and been in countless Bible classes telling and retelling all the wonderful, amazing stories that are contained within the Scripture. But by the time that we reach our adult years, we've heard them all, right? And as we turn into the pages of Scripture, we go, oh, I know this story. And we flip past. Or we only barely scratch the surface of engagement in the scripture as we read because I'm familiar with this passage. And so this morning, from the book of Joshua chapter 6, I invite you to fly the drone and look for a different perspective on a story that you've heard a million times over. See if you can't see something new. The same things that you've seen all along, but maybe just from a different vantage point. And see if God's Word doesn't change you from the inside out through a story that you already know. Joshua chapter 6. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because the Israelites. No one went in, or no one went out, and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram horns, ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them, sound a long blast on the trumpets. Have, and when you hear them, sound a long blast on the trumpets. Have all the people give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and he said to them, take the ark of the Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord 
and have seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, advance, march around the city with the armed God going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets. And the ark of the Lord, the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the people, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord. While the trumpets kept sounding, so the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all those that are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring down, bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and the iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted and the sound of the trumpet And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Again, a familiar story to all of us. At times, I can, I can honestly say... At times, as I read through the scripture, I get to stories just like this one and go, yep, I got this one. And it's a chance to fast forward to the next section of reading so that I can, I can make my way through the scripture in a quicker manner, right? And get the stamp, oh, I finished my Bible reading. But what a blessing when we stop and slow down And listen, even in the most familiar of places. I talked about the blessing of camp and the years of experience I've had there because of being in youth ministry. A greater blessing has been the moments in Scripture preparing for lessons where I'll stop and listen, and look, even in the most familiar of places. Because one thing is true, church. God always has something to teach us 
in his word. Never have we got it all. It's always new. We just have to open our eyes and listen. I'm pretty certain that as we read this story, you and I both know that we'll not find the battle plan that God gave to the children of Israel at Jericho recorded in any of our great military war journals. If you were to go and study at West Point and become uh, an officer in the military, I promise you, though I have not done it, but I promise you this would not be taught as a great strategical tactic to be used in war in today's world. And the truth is, it wasn't a great tactic then either. This was not a battle plan, was it? But it wasn't a battle that Israel was going for anyway. Look at verse uh, verse 2 in chapter 6. God makes it very clear from the beginning, before He gives the plan to Joshua. This is not about war, Joshua. It's about something else. He says, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. You see, God makes it very clear. Maybe you missed it. But God makes it very clear to Joshua this is not about war. This is about faith. This is about faith, Joshua. This is about trusting me. This is about putting everything in my hands and allowing me to fulfill the promises that I've made. Remember, it's just moments before that we read they're finally getting to cross over into the promised land after a generation has died off. After a generation of unfaithful followers or unfaithful children have died off. Right? Why were they unfaithful? Because they couldn't trust God. Do you remember? The spies were sent in. Yeah, we can take the land, said two. No way, no how, they're too big for us, said ten. And the majority gained the influence. And a generation of people, of God's people, who had experienced the parting of the sea, that had experienced the deliverance from Egypt, that had experienced God's provision for them on their journey to a generation of people said, we don't trust God. And this, God says, they finally, the generation is gone. It's the dawning of a new era, right? And they've crossed into the promised land. And God says, this first place, this first city, it's not about war. It's about faith. Joshua, I've already given them to you. Can you imagine being Joshua? You're the leader of the people and it's your time to go and you're responsible for helping fulfill and deliver the promised land. And you're about to go to your fighting men and say, we're going to march. We're not going to draw a sword. We're not going to sound a war cry. We're going to march. And then we're going to come home, go to sleep, and do it again the next day. 
God says to Joshua from the very beginning, it's already done. The victory is already accomplished. This is about faith. This is about trust. This is about depending upon me. So, Joshua and the children of Israel for the first time in a long time faithfully respond with, you got it, God. Doesn't make sense. You know they had to be saying, this doesn't make any sense. But we're going to trust you, God. And we'll march. And so their battle plan begins. This battle instructions had to seem strange and crazy to the men of Israel. The fighting men had to be ready, you know, going through their pre-game warm-up like we would see at a football game, right? Where we're chest bumping and we're, we're painting our faces and we're getting all excited about going to war. And Joshua says, nope, we're not doing that. We're trusting God. And we're just marching. And as crazy and as weird and as out of the ordinary as it seems, despite their desire to want to show their personal muscle and might, they humbly submit to the Lord and faithfully obey His direction. As strange as it may look to the world around them, they were faithful. They were obedient. And in their faithful obedience, the walls came tumbling down. God's battle plan at Jericho, at Jericho, as strange as it seems, ironically looks very much like the battle plan He's given to you and to me in the life He's called us to live for Him. In Matthew Chapter six, chapter five, six, and seven, as Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount, he would describe our march around Jericho, if you will, with words and 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 instruction that sound a lot like this. Be lights in darkness. Live without anger. Love your enemies. Remain faithful to your spouses. Keep your word. Repay evil with good. Give to those in need. Seek treasure in heaven, not on earth. Live worry-free lives one day at a time. And don't judge other people. It's pretty strange, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. In the world in which we live in, are we encouraged by the world to live one day at a time? To worry about only today because yesterday is gone and tomorrow will bring enough worries of its own? Or what about worry? Do we live in a time and a place that, that relieves us from the stress and the worry? Of life. But yet what Jesus said was. I've got you covered. Don't worry. Trust me. 
Or how about that, be faithful to your spouses? That makes us look pretty different from the rest of the society in which we live, doesn't it? I don't know about in Longview, but in Brownwood, Texas, marriages are falling apart left and right because a man or a woman has bought the lie of the devil that says they don't have to be faithful. As you read through the Sermon on the Mount, what you find is Jesus giving this this set of instructions or this, this way of godly living that in the end, if you live that way, you are going to look just as strange to the world as Israel must have looked as they simply marched around a city that they intended to conquer. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like it's producing anything of good. Jesus' words were in stark contrast to the world in which he lived in. And honestly, they remain in stark contrast in our cult, to our culture today. When we, pe- when we practice faithful obedience... We will look strange in the world in which we live. And while it may not make sense to the world, God desires, just like He did with Israel, that His children trust Him and that they lean on His enduring word and hope in His promises. Don't you, don't you know that for Israel, there at Jericho, part of the reason that they could just faithfully trust God and do this silly thing of marching around a city lied in the fact that they had a hope of a promise that was about to be delivered. Their families had missed out on it for the generation before, and now was the time. And they were not missing out on the promises of God because of disobedience. And they said, do you want us to march? That's crazy, but you bet, God. Because we hope in the promise that lies ahead. May the words penned by David in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in the chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. May those words be ever present on our lips as we march in obedience to God. And may what Solomon writes in Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. May those words be rooted in our hearts and become the guiding principles of our walk with the Lord. Take a closer look at Israel's execution of their God's plan of attack on the city. No weapons are mentioned at all. We know that. We've already talked about that briefly. No weapons were mentioned at all. They were simply to march in the presence of God around the city. Listening to the horns being blown. And on the last pass, on the seventh day, give their cry to the Lord as their battle cry. Maybe that doesn't describe this 
morning's worship completely. But do you recognize that what Israel was called to do was to walk in worship for seven days with the Lord? They weren't called to go to battle. They were called to go to worship daily. They were called to worship daily and watch and see as the Lord delivered them. It's interesting to me the parallel that we can find here for you and for me. As they marched in the presence of the Lord around the city, they walked with Him. And Jesus would remind us that we too have that commitment to daily walk in the Lord. In a conversation that he's having with Peter and Luke and the other apostles in Luke chapter 9, maybe you don't remember, but Jesus has said to them, who do you people say I am? And they have that whole long conversation and Peter makes that bold confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. At the end of that conversation, Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verses, uh, 20, in verse 23, He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. And don't miss this word. Do you remember? You can speak out, I'll let you. Daily. He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Too often, church, I'm afraid that as God's community of people, we have allowed worship to become not a daily event, but rather a one hour a week Sunday morning in these four walls event. We're so accustomed to going to events or going to activities or being or taking part in this or that, that we've allowed worship to become just that. God, I will worship you Sunday morning at 9 o'clock within the walls of this church building and then check it's done and I'm out to lunch and life and a calendar full of every other event under the sun. But you see, that's not worship. That's an event. When we look at the story of the children of Israel marching around the city, we see a principle that God puts in place, which is worship me daily. And it's not really even just as broad as daily. It's continually. Be in my presence continually. God has indeed blessed us with a community of believers to spur us on to living lives of continual worship called the church. And we are called by God to gather together on the first day of the week to remember His Son and to worship and give Him honor and praise, but He didn't say, and then it's over. Maybe the Hebrew writer understood it best When he writes in chapter 13, verse 15, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that that praise his name. 
certainly in our event-driven culture, we are in danger of allowing this, allowing worship to become an event that we go to or a place that we attend. But Scripture is clear. It's neither. It is a life that is lived. Passage that was read for us moments ago in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, tell us that we, offer our, that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Why? Or for what purpose? As an act of worship. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus calls us to live as salt and light to the world so that unbelievers may see God in us and praise Him. That idea of living is not a one-time event, is it? Living is continual, constant, all the time. And we are called to live as salt and light. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-12, through 12, a great passage, I'm running out of time so I'm not going to read it but it's a great passage that reflects the story of Jericho because it talks about being strangers and aliens in the world we look different and it ends with live such good lives among the pagans God showed us through the story of Jericho that what he desires from us is a life of continual worship not showing up in an event in a moment in a place, but that we live. First John 2, 3 and 6 says, this is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk, which is also the same word as live, but must walk as Jesus did. So it brings us back to Jericho. We're in a march. We're in the walk of continual worship to God through faith and obedience, because we hope in the promises that he will deliver. It must have been amazing to watch the city crumble before their eyes. And on the last pass, on the last day, as they belt out their war cry, I don't know how they were able to keep their voices raised and not just stand in silence and awe at the mighty work of God. I mean, have you thought about that? Have you ever... You, you remember the, 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 the three little pigs? The story of the... No. Yeah, the th- story of the three little pigs. I'm going to huff and I'm puff and I'm going to blow your house down, right? As a child, did you ever try that? <laughs> Maybe you did and you don't want to admit it, right? Maybe as an adult you've tried that. Teenager locks himself into their bedroom and you're ready to huff and puff and blow that door down, right? That's what Israel does that day. They stand before the walls of a city. Well, they don't stand. They march around it, right? And then they yell and they scream and they praise God in the moment. And then the walls drop. I don't know about you, but if I'm yelling and screaming and the walls fall, even though he told me that was coming... I stop shouting, and I'm just like, wow. I don't know how they kept the praise going. 
But the walls crumble, the dust settle, and maybe perhaps my most, the, the favorite image that I have is there stands one home, Rahab. And in the midst of the crumble and the chaos of the society around her, there stand, God holds up one refuge, one stronghold, and in it are his saved. What an amazing picture that that conjures up. And why was it that Rahab got to be that one or in that one stronghold and refuge? Because Rahab was willing to abandon the false gods of her world and claim the one and only God of heaven and surrender all of who she was to him. Her story is no, not much different than ours. We live in a time where there is a plethora of what I would call little g-gods all around us. And they're fighting and waging war for our hearts. No, we're not riddled with graven images like probably Rahab's city was. But the little g-gods that exist in our time are time and money Success, popularity, politics, lust, greed, pride. And the list can go on and on. And God wants nothing else for us than that we pursue Him and forsake all others. Like Rahab... We have a choice that stands before us. We can surrender to God and join Israel in the march towards the promised land. Or we can let the little g-god of your choosing own our hearts and our life. And we can join the masses on the road to destruction. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Jesus says we cannot serve two masters. We are designed to serve only one. The only one. The God who made all creation. The God who fell the walls of Jericho. The God that held up the house of Rahab. The God who destroyed the little g-gods. Though I don't know you, it's been my joy to be with you this morning. Because in Christ, we belong to one another. I've been encouraged by our worship of the Lord together, and I pray that you have been as well. Perhaps this morning, as we've journeyed through the book of Joshua, or through the walls of Jericho, you've been convicted that you're not faithfully following God. Or maybe you've been convicted that you need to stand in the refuge of the one and only God and give up the little g-God that has control of your life. I don't know where your heart may be, 
But if you've got a need this morning, I know this church family desires to help you lay it before the throne of God and to walk with you as you journey closer to Him. If you have a need, we invite you to make it known as we stand together.